Everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and it is a post-race version of the podcast, first one of the year. Well, I guess we did a Clash one, but this is like the first real one. It's the Daytona 500, and I'm here with Jordan Bianchi of SB Nation to talk about it. Jordan Bianchi, the original podcast guest. Jordan, how are you? It's our one-year anniversary in kind of a way. Oh, yeah? This is a nice... Yeah, I was the first podcast guest last year at this time, and I'm doing this again. Well, welcome. Welcome. So happy that you said yes, and you agreed to take time out of your writing schedule. Uh, I'm sure you're you're busy, so um, that's very nice of you, because, you know, it's the Daytona 500, and we have a lot to write and a lot to talk about. Um, Damn, by the way. (laughs) Wow. Like, that was a crazy race, right? It was really crazy. It got really crazy as the, the, the... day went on and you go into the, this day and I thought, well, you know, if a couple of these guys win, it's going to be really good stories. And then as the race is unfolding, you get the latter part of it and you're like, oh, you're looking at the leaderboard and you, yeah, we're thinking storylines. That's how we, that's how we think, you know, and I'm looking at this going, oh, I don't know. There's a couple guys here that are good stories. Blaney obviously is good. Hamlin winning again for a second time, I think would be good. Other than that, it was like, I don't know. And then chaos happened, I guess the best way to describe it. And then the next thing I know is Austin Dillon is winning the race. Daryl Walls Jr. is finishing second. Almarola's crashed on the backstretch. And we've got a heck of a Daytona 500 finish and, a, and a really a fun race. So, yeah, I'm, I'm already sort of wondering right away. Like, I'm, I'm trying to digest everything that happened. It's been a few hours now since um, the checkered flag. We're still here at the, at the media center in Daytona. And... Um, you know, I, I just like you're you're much better at history and stuff like this than I am. I feel like people aren't going to say like this is the one like the greatest Daytona 500s ever or something. They're not going to say that, but it certainly had to be one of the more entertaining ones. And especially when you, because okay, sometimes there's one big one and everybody's like going crazy over it. There was kind of like three big ones tonight. First of all, second of all, you had. A sort of a classic debatable finish, mm-hmm. something that everybody can talk about for a while, which we'll definitely get into with the Eric Almirola, Austin Dillon thing. You had, um, like you said, you know, the three and the 43 both up there. Um, that's exciting. And just a lot of unpredictability. It really, I think this race kind of went the opposite of what we all thought it was going to be in some ways. So, Help me put this in perspective. Like, where where is this going to stack up in the in the lore of Daytona 500 history? I th- it's hard to say in the immediate, but I think if you give it time, I, I think people are going to look back on this and say this was really neat. This was special. The fact that Richard Childers Racing won on the anniversary of you know the, the 20 year anniversary of Dale Earnhardt Sr. winning his lone Daytona 500. Um, the fact that it was his grandson, the three is back in victory lane. I think with some time and perspective, I think it's going to be one of those that resonates a little bit, especially if this can kind of propel NASCAR forward. I mean, this has been beaten to death in a lot of respects, but, you know, NASCAR's at a crossroads. They've got a lot of drivers retire. They've got the youth coming in. 
And Austin Dillon is kind of part of that movement as well. And Darrell Wallace Jr. is certainly part of that movement. And if these guys and, and can take this and go forward and NASCAR can run with this, and this race is kind of the, the launching pad, so to speak, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. was talking about this on Twitter a little bit, that it feels kind of like a new beginning in some sense. And that's, that's really hard to say right now. We won't know that for some time. But it does feel like fresh, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens and comes from this. And if this is kind of the turnaround that NASCAR is looking for and, the, and, the, and putting these young guys out there, th- th- yeah, I think we're really going to look at this race as something special. So if this race is sort of marks the unofficial dawn of the next generation, um, I, I, do th- I do sort of sense that, though. Like, there is this weird optimism that I'm, that I'm leaving this week with where I feel like the young guys and, and everybody, is they're trying to do more for the fans. They're trying to be really fan-friendly. They're having so much fun. Mm-hmm. The fun is carrying over. They're coming in the media center. They're laughing. They're joking. Um, and really, I, we've almost gotten used to this thing where guys, you know, drivers the last few years, you know, they run and hide to their motorhomes. You don't see them. And then they come in the media center, do interviews, and it just looks like they're so stressed and they're it's miserable. Um, I mean, Bubba, Blaney, Dylan, uh, these guys are enjoying themselves, you know? And, like, that's what you want to watch. It's fun because you enjoy their fun. Like, when you see them have fun and you see them smile and, and be passionate about it and stuff, you're kind of it gets you kind of into it, you know? Absolutely. They're, they're engaged in social media. They don't feel like corporate spokespeople. They don't feel like they're just they're worried about what they're going to say. They're going to make their sponsors mad. And, you know, they're, they're smart about it. But they're, they're willing to be themselves. They're willing to show personality. Sometimes they say some things maybe they shouldn't or do some things, but that's good. That's what you want. You want personality. You want to be engaging. You want to be captivating. And I think you're getting that with these young drivers. And there's this willingness. And we've heard Ryan Blaney say it. We've heard Darrell Wallace Jr. say it, that, you know what, they're willing to say yes to just about anything because they look at it as it's good for them and it's good for the sport and it helps them both. And if they can do that, they're going to do. They're, they're going to say yes. And an unfortunate reality is that there are some veteran drivers who have gotten to the point in their careers, they just, for whatever reason, whether it's family, sponsors, um, not interested, they just don't have that same passion to do some of the other things that these young kids are doing, and, and that's resonating. And I think, yeah, I think it is a little bit of a turning, a changing of the guard. Well, you can tell, you can tell which drivers is just sort of like a job and a paycheck to them, honestly. And it's sad that that it's sad that driving a race car for a living would turn into that, but. Um, Anyway, we can get into that later. We're talking really big picture. Let's talk about the specifics of what happened in the Daytona 500. And the first big thing we really need to get into is the last lap. So honestly, uh, you know, people are really mad online um, about Austin Dillon's move. And in the moment, I was totally with him. I even typed on Twitter, Austin Dillon wrecks Eric Almarola. That was my description of it. And then um, Austin Dillon won the race. So... Upon further review, because then I ran out to do interviews along with you, we end up talking to Eric Almarola, and I asked Eric Almarola, um, you know, are, was Dylan being too aggressive, you know, talking about his move? And he goes like this. He goes, ha, he wasn't being too aggressive. Um, like, he, he, like, practically laughed in my face. Like, he's like, we're, we're trying to win the Daytona 500. I threw a block, and I knew that he was coming with a strong run. And it didn't work out like he was he was very honest about Mm -hmm. it. Um, So then I kind of changed my tune like, okay, wait a minute. He's saying he blocked. And then I go back, watch the replay. And sure enough, I mean, 
Austin Dillon was coming with a huge push from Bubba Wallace. So Austin Dillon there has two choices. He can either and and Almirola had two choices. He can either slide up and try to block and pray that Austin Dillon somehow wusses out and decides not to not to make contact there or somehow makes contact and doesn't wreck them both. Um, or he can pull over the side and Austin Dillon sails by him on the outside for a win. Austin Dillon's choices were he either stays in the gas, doesn't lift, hits Almirola, tries to push and see what happens, or he lifts, lets Almirola in and loses the Daytona 500. So I don't fault either of them one bit whatsoever. I think it was exactly the type of racing we've seen this entire speed weeks. But people are pissed at Dylan because they they think that Almirola is just being nice. He he didn't really mean that. Um, he he got uh, he, he they they think that he's just being politically correct. So what's your, what's your take on the whole thing, Jordan? I think Almirola is 100 percent being genuine, and I'll tell you why I believe that. I saw him. I followed him from the care center through the garage, and he was smiling. He was high fiving different people. He what he gave no impression of a driver who was mad or just lost the Daytona 500. He gave the impression of a driver who came down to it, and he just didn't work out in his favor, and circumstances didn't go his way, and it was the way it is. And he understood and accepted the fact that he did something, that he put himself in a position where he might come on the short end of the stick, and that's exactly what happened, and there's nothing he can do about it because he had two choices, like you said. You either throw the block or you don't throw the block, and if you don't throw the block, you lose the race. And that's the circumstances, and I think he, it was readily apparent that in that situation, just about anybody would have done the same thing that Austin Dill did. It's not aggressive. It's, it's aggressive driving, but it's not dirty driving, and you have to understand the situation and the circumstances, and I think that's what everybody, whether it's Dillon or Amarillo, um, they understand that this is, what, this is what played out. This is how it unfolded, and if the, the roles would have been reversed, I, I don't think anyone would have had an issue. Well, I think... It- Specifically, it comes down to not only are you trying to, um, you know, push the person in front of you, but if you don't do that, then and and he rolls out of it, he gets wrecked probably. Like Bubba Wallace probably comes with the head of steam and knocks him out of the way because I and the reason I say that is because there's two previous wrecks um, in this race, the same race where something like that happens. So wreck number one, you go back and Chase Elliott's coming with the head of steam. Ryan Blaney pulls up. Chase Elliott rolls out of it at that point in the race, lets him in. This is, I think, the last lap of the stage one yep. when this happened. And then Brad Keselowski's behind them, and either he spins off Keselowski's bumper, Keselowski didn't let him in enough, whatever happened. I think they disagreed, by the way. I heard um, that they may have uh, had a little uh, oh. yelling match, perhaps. Oh, I didn't hear that. I, Interesting. Perhaps. Hmm. I heard some yelling uh, was associated with that um, when Danica was in there, Chase and Kozlowski, something like that, in the care center is hmm. what I heard. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a good point, though, that if you let off the gas, if you're Austin Dillon there, you're probably going to get ran over. There's a very good chance you're going to spin out, and we've seen that this all weekend where the cars just get really unstable when you've got guys around you, and we, we saw multiple times at the same part of the racetrack, too, by the way, going into turn three. So, absolutely, Dillon was in a bad spot there where he really didn't have much of a choice. And we'll have and Kurt Busch. Yeah, same thing. Kurt Busch uh, gets blocked by Hamlin. Yep. He is not able to stay in it at that point or decides not to stay in it or whatever, bobbles a little bit, whatever. Um, and then next thing you know, Blaney, uh, Kurt Busch gets loose off Blaney's nose. He goes for a spin. Blaney gets a piece of that as well. And so, I mean, he basically got run over. Uh, arrow-wise from behind. So 
I, I know I'm defending Dylan here, and a lot of people like don't like Dylan at all because they're like he's an entitled silver spoon punk is what I've been seeing on Twitter. But um, I just don't see – if you take the emotion out of it and you just say driver A and driver B, which is always what I try to do, then I don't see how you could fault that driver. No, and, and I, what I hear from fans a lot is we want drivers who go for it, who go for the win, and they don't care about being sorry, and they just – they don't have no apologies. Well, that's Austin Dillon. I mean, that really was Austin Dillon. In a nutshell tonight, this is a guy who had an opportunity to win the race, and he went out and took it, and he didn't do anything wrong. He, if you look at the video, he held his line, and that's what you want. That's what fans say they want in this format where a win means so much for your playoff eligibility and the fact that you that this is the Daytona 500. I, I, don't, think, I don't know how anybody could really look at that um, and say, yeah, I, I blame Dylan there. Honestly, I mean, people are always like to Dylan, like, you ain't the real three. You know what I mean? But, like, that's, like, the most three thing he could have done in that situation as far as an Earnhardt-esque type of move. You think Earnhardt would have rolled out of it and, like, let somebody in front of him and not booted him out of the way, like, to drive through him uh, when somebody blocked no, you? No, absolutely not. Earnhardt would have stayed in the gas and said, all right, if you're going to come across my my front bumper, well, then, sorry, good yeah, luck to you. And that's, yeah. that's exactly what happened. The only thing is I don't think Earnhardt would have dabbed. And Earnhardt would not have dabbed, and Earnhardt <laughs> certainly would not have been sliding through the infield, which really looks like it hurts. You think so? Did you jump on your stomach and you slide? Yeah. It just looks painful. Like, knocks and the it, wind out of you? There's no, there was no rain this week, so it's not like yeah. the grass was wet. No, I'm good. Yeah. Well, I, you know, um, <laughs> I need to – I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because I pictured Dale Sr. dabbing with the sunglasses <laughs> and everything, like, after one of his wins. That's, uh. like, that's the ultimate in the new NASCAR Driver does a burnout, gets out of his car, dab on him. It does feel really dated. Isn't that from like a couple years ago when the Carolina Panthers went to the Super Bowl and that was a big thing with Cam Newton? That, that is, but I think that the dab is still like, it's sort of like... Um, I'm not hip, so I have no idea. I believe it's sort of like, I just showed you up. Like, boom. Like, I just did that on you. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, right. I dunked on you sure. almost type of thing. Interesting. Like, it's a very, it's a very brash thing. Yeah. To do. Austin, and which, Austin which, Dillon is very brash. Exactly. Exactly. The thing about Austin Dillon is, so I've talked about this before, I think, on the podcast, but he's told me before, like, he would love to be NASCAR's Conor McGregor. Mm -hmm. Like, he loves Conor McGregor. He loves the flashiness, the flashiness, and he loves um, the trash talk and all that stuff. But he's like, I, I have to win in order to yeah. do that because I, I, I can't do that and not back it up. So he doesn't care. He knows that this sport has like a personality deficit and he doesn't care about mixing it up. He doesn't care about people disliking him, which they already do anyway, so it's fine. But okay. uh, you need a bad boy though. You need a guy yeah. willing to wear that black hat and Austin Dillon actually does wear black cowboy hats. And he does have that personality though. And he has the willingness to embrace it. Like you said though, it comes down to results. Now he's won in the Xfinity series and the truck series but he hasn't really had much success or consistent, sustained success in the Cup Series. His one Cup victory before today came last year in the Coca-Cola 600, and that was a fuel miles race. You know, is, is that driver ability, or is that just kind of the circumstances and team? And that's kind of the question. And he's had his moments. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago he made the playoffs, and he had a lot of good runs, and it just he never could break through. So I, I think it's always been there, but he hasn't able to like really have it consistently. And he needs wins, though. And that if you're going to be that guy, you're going to be like you said, you're going to be that spokesperson who's going to be out front and, and in people's faces. You darn sure better be back, back it up. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, he's just sort of an interesting character. But and, and so people will probably say now that well, because fuel mileage win and a plate win, he doesn't still have a real win, which you know that's fair. Um, 
you know, I, I think, though, that it'll be interesting to see if Richard Childress Racing and its affiliates can make gains with this new Camaro because the Chevys certainly seem to be promising. Um, not not here. I'm, I'm not talking about Daytona because you can't count that. But just like at the, at the Vegas test, I thought that they had some had some promise. So, um, you know, they were fast. We'll see. And, and if here's the thing. Because the sport needs Dylan to be successful, say, like in a, to be in a bad guy role, right? Because mm-hmm. you need the bad guy yeah. in addition to Kyle Busch or whatever. Kyle Busch doesn't even want to be the bad guy is a thing. Dylan, does, I don't think, cares. No. But, like, if Dylan is successful and, and because RCR is running better, Bubba Wallace, in theory, would be as well. So let's talk about that because he's an affiliate team. I feel like uh, this was, like, even though he finished second um, and it's just a plate race, this was sort of like the coming out party for Bubba Wallace this entire, sort of this entire month. I mean, he's a star. Yeah, you know, he is a bona fide star. He's got the personality, but and it kind of goes back to what we said about Dylan, though. You've got to have the results to back that up. And Darrell Wallace's career has been up and down. He's had his moments. He looked like, wow, this guy's on on the verge. And then there's other times, like last year, and and it's really not his fault, but the, the sponsorship wasn't there. He lost his Xfinity Series ride. And then he goes and joins Richard Petty Motorsports, and it, it seems great on the surface. This is a young driver who's got some talent, joining a team that really needs kind of that useful energy to kind of help elevate it. But it comes down again, though, is this is a team in Richard Petty Motorsports. They, they haven't had a lot of sponsorship. They don't have a ton of resources, and they just have struggled the last few years. They have got to figure out a way to, to, to kind of reach that upper level, and you want this to be that. You want this to, to, to kind of be this union of young driver with this veteran team and, and perfect pairing. And it's going to be interesting to see if this can carry forward. It, it is a plate race, though. We, we've seen a lot of unlikely guys have great finishes in these races, and it doesn't really carry over throughout the season. But I think because Wallace was the showcase, he was able to – his personality was on full display – what he could do behind the wheel was on display. It does feel like there might be some companies out there that say, hey, wait a second, this is a guy maybe we want to get behind. Look, there's, there's it, I don't know how to explain this, but there's certain people you see, and it's almost like you can immediately look at them and be like, that's that's. He's got star. the it factor. He's he got does. the it factor. Everything yeah. about him, he just carries himself, the way he speaks, the way he acts. It is this coolness. This he, like, jumps off the, yeah. I mean, yeah. not, not he jumps radiates. off the screen, but he's right there. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I he has this new Facebook show, right? Yes. And um, they invited me in Las Vegas to go see some of the filming of this because they had taken the team out to uh, an outing at Topgolf. Uh, after the night, the first night of testing at Vegas. So I'm kind of in the background watching this whole thing be filmed, and I'm thinking, man, this really is, like, this guy's perfect for a reality show. Like, just the stuff he says, nothing's forced. It's raw. It's real. Um, he's very genuine. He's just, you know, energetic and out there. But then he's also can be grumpy and and cranky, and um, he's just very real, and I think people identify with that. I mean, look at the emotion that he showed tonight. Um, with his mom coming up yeah. there and, and just bawling, bawling. When's the last time we saw was, somebody bawling on the on the stage of Daytona? When's the last time you, you saw a driver hug his mom and have that really emotional embrace? I, I don't remember seeing that. It's been a while. The one thing that came back to me, maybe Jimmy, Jamie McMurray in 2010 in Daytona's victory lane. 
But it, it's been a while, and the fact that Wallace is, is willing to kind of put himself out there and not really be afraid to make himself look foolish at times, not in a bad way, but just kind of a fun way. His hijinks with Ryan Blaney, I think that's great. You've got two young drivers who are kind of like this bromance. <laughs> that's what you need, and they, they play off each other well. And I think it comes down to, though, is if this team and this organization can keep moving forward, I think Wallace has that chance to be that driver that NASCAR so desperately needs to be out front. Um, there's a lot of young, talented drivers in this series, and I don't doubt for a second that they can do it on the racetrack, but it's what can you do off the racetrack, and Darrell Wallace Jr. can do it off the racetrack. He just needs an opportunity to do it on the racetrack. I, I sort of mentioned a little bit of this in my column, my five things column on, on jeffgluck.com, but I smile thinking about how crazy it would be if Bubba became one of the most popular drivers based on all the political BS that NASCAR's gotten themselves into with the Confederate flag. Because NASCAR fans, I mean, look, he's Southern. He's from Mobile, Alabama. He loves the Tennessee Vols. He's associated with Richard Petty um, driving the 43 car. And, you know, he has great personality. Those are all reasons that people love him. And so if he, I think it would be so funny to, it would blow outsiders' minds, people that don't like NASCAR, have a stereotype about NASCAR, uh, NASCAR fans, if, you know, you're like, oh, so you, you, there's a, a black driver in NASCAR now? Yeah. What do people think of him? Oh, he's one of the most popular guys. He gets huge cheers. What? Yeah. NASCAR fans? Yeah, you, you, need that, you need that transformation, especially the last few years. It, NASCAR's taken some hits in that and that front they, with things they've done or not done or not being proactive enough. But if you can have a, a Darrell Wallace Jr. out front, and I would say a Daniel Suarez and a Kyle Larson, NASCAR really is it's branching out. It, it's not this stereotypical um, Southern redneck sport anymore. You get drivers from all backgrounds, walks of life, and I think people still sometimes who don't follow the sport tend to kind of go back to the stereotypes, and it, it, it's bad that they do because if you look at it, there's a lot of potential here and there's a lot of areas of growth, and NASCAR has done a very good job of, of trying to make this sport more open, and I think we're starting to see that now of their efforts. But, you know, what's interesting, though, is, is as there's been a lack of Southern drivers, Bubba is one of the most Southern drivers yes, out there. People forget that, too. I mean, he's from Alabama. I mean, he grew up in North Carolina. I mean, this is a guy who is – he's what fans want to see in their drivers. He, he, you know, he grew up racing late models and went through the ranks. I mean, this is a guy who's fought and scrapped and, and really tried to pull himself up by the bootstraps. This is a guy that I think people can relate to on a lot of that level. Well, let's talk about uh, the other half of the Bubba Blaney combo, which is Ryan Blaney. Um yeah, he totally dominant race. I mean, here, let's see the sheet here. He led 118 laps wow. out of the 207. Nobody else led more than 22 laps. That's, so totally he, dominant. I mean, he, he was, was the Pied Piper guy. He was. He was out front leading, and he, it was really hard for people to pass him. Um, he did a great job. Even when his teammates went out of the race, when Brad Keselowski fell out and Logano had all sorts of issues today, and he ended up rallying for top 10 finish. Um, yeah, I mean, Blaney was the guy, and it really looked like at the end there he was set up for him. It was his race kind of to lose, and unfortunately for him he lost it. Um, but he's really morphed into a really good restrictor plate racer. But, again, this is the second year in a row, though, where he's had heartbreak in Daytona. Remember last year? He finished second in this race, and he kind of – I think he had, a, he, they had a fuel pickup issue or something like that on the last lap, and it prevented him from passing Kurt Busch. And, yeah, I mean, he's kind of putting together a little bit of a resume here where, well, wait a second here. His Daytona 500 misses are starting to add up. 
Yeah, I was really starting to think, okay, wow, this is the the emergence of Ryan Blaney, the superstar, because he's going to win the 500, and it's really going to catapult him into the next level here um, of attention and media and really, okay, now he's carrying the torch. Um, so definitely heartbreak for him, and we'll see how he can do when, when uh, the intermediate tracks roll up. But um, solid performance. I, I talked to him after the race, Jordan, and he said that, um, you know, I asked – did he feel like he was in control of the race? It had that caution with William Byron not come out. And he basically said, you know, I think yes, but I think it was going to start to get hairy and people were going to make, start making moves with five to go. And we were five laps away from that. So you don't know what would have happened. But I think even if, say, it started making moves, I think he would have had the best car of those left. Mm-hmm. And uh, he I think he would have been a Daytona 500 winner had, had William Byron not spun. Is that fair? I think he had a really good chance. I think when you have a restart and you stack everybody up and then you got to make lane choices and you, you're sometimes kind of the victim of if the, who's behind you and whether they can give you that right push at the right time. We saw in the duels, uh, Darrell Walsh Jr. gave Blaney a big push on the late restart and it just vaulted Blaney ahead and it was just not enough time to catch him. We didn't see that today. And there was a time there in the restart that Blaney got kind of sucked in the middle there and he fell back and then he rallied. And yeah, that showed that he had a really good car, but it just didn't work out. And sometimes when you get these cautions, it, everything can happen and, you know, basically all hell can break loose. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, getting the right push at the right time and having help. Um, somebody that didn't have help at the end there was Denny Hamlin. On that last restart, you know, but right before the restart, you heard the same thing on yeah. the radio, I'm pretty sure. He was coordinating with Paul Menard, who was two cars behind him. Uh-huh. Chris Buescher was right behind him. And I think he was planning that Menard was going to push Buescher, yep. who was going to push Hamlin. And they were sort of going to three go together. And then he knew that the Fords, Hamlin knew the Fords were fast. So that's why he was going to Menard. And I think he was thinking, okay, I'll go with Menard. Menard will ditch Buescher. We'll go up high together. And Menard will push me to the win. But instead, as that restart got going there, where he was, uh, Hamlin was side by side with Eric Almarola, Almarola's getting help. Hamlin's got nothing. They're going all the way into like the backstretch, and Hamlin has no help from what I remember seeing. No, and he fell back, and then he kind of made a little bit of charge there. But I thought when they had that late restart, you look at the guys who are up there. I know Blaney was strong, but Denny Hamlin is a darn good plate racer, one of the best in the garage. And if you actually talk to people at Media Day, and a lot of the drivers said the same thing, Denny Hamlin and Brad Keselowski are probably the two best plate racers. And Denny Hamlin had basically he had the ball in his hand at the end of the game and missed the shot because that's he had everything there in front of him to win this race. You're starting on the but front see, row. See, I, I I disagree though because I think that. He's the one you want to take the shot, but I think nobody passed to him. It was, I think it's like he's LeBron and none of his team. He was wide open, but he he needed to push. You can't in that situation. You just can't do it by yourself. No, you, no? you can't do it by yourself. He needed to, he needed to push, but he got a run there at the end, and I think he could have been a little bit more aggressive. I think he would have an opportunity. It's. It's one of those things I think if you look back at, and I actually asked him at the end, uh, he was standing on pit road, I go, Can you, could you have done anything there? And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, no, not really. But it, it, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But I, I do feel like if you're in that situation and you're Denny Hamlin, I, I do feel like it's, it's your race to win in that situation. Jordan, why? Okay, we saw a lot of single file racing in stage three. Stages one and two were mostly <laughs> two by two, uh, even three wide racing, they wrecked at the end of stage one because of it. They wrecked past the halfway point in stage two because of it. 
I, I just don't get it. All Everything we saw during the whole speed weeks led us to believe that the cars were going to be tough to handle, and so they'd probably take it conservative. They'd probably back out of it. Um, I was talking to one driver, um, I shouldn't say who, basically, but we were texting the other night, and, and he was saying that it's it was going to be a race where there was going to be a bunch of single-file lines that were all over the track because it was going to go green. They, they weren't going to be able to race side by side and it would get kind of get spread out. Um, that just didn't happen at all. They did the opposite. Why, why were they racing so hard, Jordan? I have no idea. I don't understand why drivers race so hard in restrictor plate races from the beginning. I understand the whole stage point things and whatever, but still the idea not worth it. I know it's not worth it at all. And absolutely not worth it. And you need to be there at the end to have a shot. And we've seen this so many years. We saw it last year. We saw it this year where good cars, very good cars, were taken out by moves that probably shouldn't have happened. And why this race looked different than what we've seen uh, than other times in Speed Weeks, I mean, there's going to be a lot of different theories. One, I don't think it was as hot as people anticipated today. I don't think the track was as slick. There's probably a little more, more grip. And I think the fact that everybody was so attuned to the fact that the cars were really hard to control, I think the drivers and the crew chiefs got together and said, hey, we've got to do something here. You're going to have to figure this out. You need to give me a car that can handle, because if you don't, we're not going to have a chance to win this race. And I think the crew chiefs went to work and, did, and focused that on their drivers. And there's also the element, too, that there's 40 cars out there. I mean, there are weren't running in one pack today, but there was probably at times, you know, 15, 20 cars running together. That changes the dynamic. And then when you have more cars out there, you're going to have more guys who are willing to try the bottom line. And I think we saw in the clash and we saw in the duels, some guys were just not willing to run the bottom line. They just didn't have the car. They didn't have. The, they didn't feel like it go. Today, that was not the case. There was guys who were willing to experiment, and they had guys who were willing to experiment with them and, and push them forward. And then I think again, it goes back to. I think there's something about this race, because it means so much, I think guys just get really aggressive, sometimes to a fault. And really at the beginning of the race, I was watching Joey Logano and Chase Elliott race really hard, and it reminded me of yesterday's Xfinity race in a lot of respects, because that's what it looked like. These guys were just kind of swapping the lead, throwing these big blocks, and they really didn't have any regard for that. And I'm wondering, part of it, though, is too, is that Elliott and Logano were in that Xfinity race, Maybe they had some confidence in saying, hey, we were able to do this on Saturday. Maybe we can carry that over to Sunday. You know what's weird about this race that may be a little bit different than other plate races? And you, like I said, you have a better memory than I do. But this seemed like a lot of, okay, a lot of plate races, if there's a big one, it happens, it could happen middle pack mm-hmm. or, you know, fifth on back or something like that. This was the leaders doing it. This yeah. was the leaders taking each other out. So it wasn't so, you know, in some ways, it's like random, like, oh, you never know who's going to get taken out. But the leaders themselves were, I mean, Chase Elliott, Brad Kozlowski, yeah. Kurt Busch, um, those those were the guys involved. They they had a chance, and they were in the wrecks. They were starting the wrecks. I, I don't have the numbers to back this up in front of me, but it does feel like this is not abnormal. This is happening more and more because the leaders now have to be so aggressive up front when you throw blocks, and guys have to hold their positions. We're seeing this happen more where, where the leaders are wrecked, and then it just kind of trickles down throughout the field. That certainly was the case last year. Remember Jamie McMurray and Jimmy Johnson were running in the top, I think, five or ten last year, and they had that big pileup in turn three. Um, yeah, I, I just think that guys are being way more aggressive than in years past to hold their positions because they realize when you're in front, the only way to hang on to that lead is by blocking. You know what's weird? Like, oh, So Denny Hamlin on Media Day, Daytona 500 Media Day, 
he said, you know, basically because of all the advances and what they've learned to do with play racing, the side drafting, these crazy blocks, all that stuff, they, they weren't doing this even five years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, he was saying that um, any driver, even 10 years ago and back, anybody, any driver today would crush them in the race. And that got a lot of blowback on Twitter. But, you know, you watch races like today, and I actually agree with him mm-hmm. because if you had taken, a, like, let's just say, like a Rusty Wallace or um, even a Tony Stewart or, or somebody like that, they wouldn't, they, they just haven't had experience in throwing these crazy blocks and understanding what they do. And the side draft, like, did Rusty yeah. Wallace have crazy side drafts and advance in the pack? No, they had a completely different kind of restrictor plate racing than they have now. So I just think this is a very, very specific skill and something that is continuing to evolve. And this crazy, wild blocking. Uh, is the latest thing. I think guys take it way more serious than they did before. I think sometimes there was this kind of element of it's a plate race, anything can happen, we're going to go there, and hopefully we can stay out of the big one, and if we're there at the end, so be it. But guys study tape now. They look at different you know, statistics. They have different strategies. They talk to guys. And because of that, they're better. And I think Keselowski and uh, Joey Logano and Denny Hamlin are three guys who have really kind of elevated themselves to this higher level because they take it seriously. They come here with an attitude of, we have good cars, we know that, and we know that we it's up to us now to go out there and do that, and they do it. And I think it's not a coincidence, and I wrote about this in my preview, it's not a coincidence that a lot of these same guys are winning these plate races on a regular basis. Danny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Jimmy Johnson, Brad Keselowski, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Dale Earnhardt Jr., those six drivers going in today had won 16 in the last 20 races. That's not just because they got lucky. It's going. It's because they put the work in to figure out how to get better, to manipulate the draft to their advantage, and there's a reason these guys keep winning. Danica Patrick today finished 35th, and she crashed. Did not finish the race. Her NASCAR career is now over. Any final thoughts, Jordan? Uh, Anything to add about Danica? I think, obviously, the results on the track were nowhere near what she wanted and what her team wanted for a long time. It was a struggle. There was a lot of, I think, finger-pointing and excuses. But I think, ultimately, Danica's legacy is not going to be about what happens on the track for her. I think Danica's legacy is going to be written 10 years from now or two two decades from now when you have, I, I think, a bunch of women in this sport who were inspired by Danica Patrick. And I think when you look around and you see little girls who have Danica shirts on who say, you know what, I want to be a race car driver because of her, and now they're coming into the sport at a young age, they're, they're at the go-kart tracks, and they're going out there and they're coming up through the ranks, I, I think that's going to be Danica, Danica's legacy. Talked to TJ Patrick uh, before the race um, right around Danica's car, and he runs a, a go-kart facility he has, and he goes, I have more young girls there now who want to be race car drivers because of Danica than ever before. And I, and I think ultimately that's going to be Danica's legacy. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think she ended up making very many friends or being no. super well-liked within the garage, ultimately. I don't know. Um, and I don't, think that, I don't know if that really bothered her, there, though, either. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, for instance, in the driver's meeting today um, – they, Steve O'Donnell said, uh, you know, we'd like to recognize her. And they clapped, but nobody stood up. There was no standing ovation like with other drivers who have been retiring yeah. in similar situations. The fans gave her a nice cheer. Um, but I just don't think that uh, five weeks from now, even people are going to be like, man, I really miss Danica being in NASCAR. 
I don't think that's going to happen. I, and I think people are just kind of, I think that she has been very upfront about the fact that she wanted to leave. And she was. She kind said she's not even going to yeah. uh, keep track of the results. And not, she, not only is she not going to watch races, yeah. she said, oh, I'll, I'll probably forget to check and see who did what uh, each eventually week. Eventually her interest is going to wane and she's just going to stop looking. And she didn't want to be here anymore. And she was tired of the schedule and racing, you know, well, 38 weeks out of the year and, and all this stuff. And she wants to go do other stuff. And I think that when... You say those kind of things, and that's great. I'm glad she was up front and being honest with how she felt. We want that. But when you say those things, you're going to there's going to be people who look at you and say, well, okay, fine, goodbye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah. Well, I do agree with you, though, about um, young girls and, and mm-hmm. being inspired. You've, you've seen plenty of stories of people Absolutely. on Twitter or whatever who say, oh, my daughter walked by the TV and said, wow, girls can race. So. Yeah. That's that's great. Um, hopefully, there'll be another female racer who comes along who's more dedicated to the sport, dedicated to her craft and learning and putting the work in. Because I just personally feel like Danica didn't really put the work and the effort in. That's that's just my personal take. That's that, you don't have to add to that if you don't want. To. I I don't disagree. I mean, you, you talk to people behind the scenes who worked with her at Stuart House Racing, and they say a lot of the same thing, and that she hadn't had. Her heels kind of dug in on how she wanted to do things, but that really wasn't conducive to how you build a race team or how you become a successful race car driver. Um, our friend Bob Hawkers had a great article on ESPN.com this week, and Tony Stewart had a great quote in there and how he and Greg Zipidelli, who's the competition director at Stewart House Racing, wanted her to stay with Tony Gibson. They knew that that was the best crew chief for her. And she was adamant that, no, she needed an engineering-minded crew chief. That was what she had in IndyCar. That what she felt was going to give her the most success. That was wrong. And the most success she ever had was with Tony Gibson. She needed that father figure who could you know, put her arm around her and say, it's going to be all right. We're going to go get him next time. Kind of in a way that Steve Letarte was for Dale Earnhardt Jr., help you rebuild that confidence when you have bad days. And she was adamant that that wasn't the case. And I think that you have to trust people who know the sport better than you, and I, and I don't think that was there. Okay, Jordan, it is time to predict what the Was It A Good Race poll will say tomorrow. Now, last week I defeated Dustin Long. Um, <laughs> Dustin predicted that 63% of people would say the Clash was a good race. I said 58 Percent, and I think the actual one was 48 percent. Oh wow! So I was closer. It's you. You can't overbid in this. It's just who's closer. So as you are the guest, I will let you go first. What percent of people in the was it a good race poll will say that that the Daytona 500 was a good race? I don't know if this is going to be abnormally high, but I'm going to say 74 percent people love this race. Oh, I've totally got you on this. It's going to be. 85 percent at okay. least okay so I'm, i wasn't i thought i was gonna be high so you're saying even higher i would i, think I, I, I you're probably right and i agree with that actually because i think people are gonna i think people are gonna like this how race. is that not a good race no I, I don't see unless you were a fan of brad keselowski or chase elliott and your guy got knocked out early or you just didn't like dylan's movie or you you're like, that screwed it yeah, up yeah you know that that's the only thing i could see it's or it's a crash fest yeah it's a freaking great race i think it was, fan- it, it was how are you not entertained by that it was a darn good race it had strategy it had i'll let drama. you redo your Look, 74 is going to be way too low. Okay, good. I, okay, I, I, I was trying take to a mulligan, okay? I'll let you repeat. 92%. 92, you're saying? No, now I'm too high. I can't win. <laughs> okay, 92. <laughs> well, I think there's. I think the record I think the record in the Was It A Good Race poll may be 93. Okay, I'm going to say 92. 92. I'll, I'll stick, what did I just say, 85? Yeah. I'll stick with 85, 
and there's a little gap in between there. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a photo finish like it was in the Xfinity race where we're going to have to go to the, you know, go right down to the wire there. But, um, okay, so 85 for me, 92 for you. Uh, if, if you're listening to this on Monday, please get on Twitter. Um, my Twitter name's at Jeff underscore Gluck, if you didn't know that, and vote in my poll and let us know, was it a good race? Jordan, any final thoughts on the 2018 60th running of the Daytona 500? I think just kind of echoing what we talked about at the beginning, I, I feel like this, this is absolutely a transition year for NASCAR. I'm very interested to see. I think we've seen great things out of Ryan Blaney during Speed Weeks. I think Chase Elliott is on the cusp of winning a bunch of races. And I think these young guys are going to continue to emerge and be the predominant storyline throughout the course of the season. And I think that, you know, maybe I'm reaching too far, but I think that this youth versus experience battle that we've seen, I think that may manifest a little bit on the racetrack. Jordan, thank you so much for taking so much time. Uh, wow, 40 minutes here on on Daytona 500 night when you're still on deadline with things. Um, listen, check out Jordan's work at SBNation.com. Follow him at Jordan underscore Bianchi. You yes. have an underscore, right? Uh, J- yeah. Jordan underscore Bianchi, yep. B-I-A-N-C-H-I. Bingo. I, I'm not very good at spelling without looking at the, at the. you know, it's hard to spell it in your head. Anyway, mm. um, listen, Jordan is a kick-ass reporter. He works his butt off. He doesn't get to come to that many races, so hopefully more people will read his work so that the SB Nation people will say, wow, look at those numbers. We need to send you to more races because Jordan... Uh, he gets stuff done. He stirs the pot a little bit. He's the one that asked Kyle Busch the question during Charlotte Media Tour about the whole youth marketing thing. And look at the conversation that started. So when Jordan's not around, there's not as many people <laughs> start conversations. And uh, I hope to see you at the track soon again, Jordan. I appreciate the kind of words and always a pleasure. Everybody else, um, Tuesday is 12 questions with Corey LaJoy, who finished last today. So that's not exactly the best momentum for the 12 questions, but it, it, it was a good one. So I hope people listen to that. Then Thursday coming up is the latest in the new How I Got Here series with Mike Joy from Fox Sports. That was a new, that's a great new series, by the way. The one with Steve Thank O'Donnell you. was very interesting, and I think the opportunity to branch out and really kind of get different people's perspective and, the, and the, just a wide range of people in the sport is going to be really interesting to see throughout the course of the season. Thanks. I'm going to have fun with it. I think it's going to be really interesting to hear people's stories. And then, of course, I'll be at Atlanta Motor Speedway next weekend, and I will pick a different uh, reporter, not Jordan Bianchi, because he won't be there. Unfortunately, um, at Atlanta after the race to talk about that race. So the season's rolling, and we'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.